Welcome to your digital reputation. Here's your host, Roger Christie. Hello, and thanks for joining us. My name's Roger Christie, founder of digital reputation advisory firm, Propel. Today, we're exploring a question for leaders. Is it risky to be yourself online? Now, if you heard that and thought, wait, what? It's worth stressing the point. So many leaders today find it uncomfortable turning up online and just being themselves, which has always been a bit baffling for me because you know I've assumed that they've got into leadership positions by just being themselves. But perhaps the issue is far more complicated than it seems. So today, I've enlisted the help of someone I feel brings his authentic self to every social media interaction he makes to learn what the pros and cons are of this sort of authentic approach. He's currently Director General of a Queensland State Government Department and perhaps the only senior bureaucrat I know who manages to balance posts about sausage factories, his favourite rock bands and updates on state projects and how wonderful his team is getting on with the job. Mike Kaiser, thank you so much for joining us on the Your Digital Reputation podcast. Thanks very much, Rog, and thanks for that very generous introduction. No worries at all. It's all I mean, it's all true, and it's all true in the sense of the sausage factory too, which I hope we do get to at some point, because that's one of the more interesting remarks that I've seen from someone in your position on LinkedIn. Now, I, I did reference a few of, the, of your previous posts there, Mike, and I suppose the very first thing that I wanted to call out is that team mentality. You spend, or you seemingly spend so much time talking about the great work that they're doing, tagging them in posts, celebrating them in comments. Why is that? Oh, look, it's it's tough being a public servant. You don't get a lot of thanks from people. You don't get a lot of appreciation. You find yourself criticised by the media a lot. And, of course, as a public servant, you have no recourse at all. It's not as though you can defend yourself all that successfully publicly either without crossing some lines. So I spend a lot of time internally in the department thanking people for the great work that they do for the people of Queensland. And I think it just add something to do that in a public forum or in a more public forum. It kind of adds, in a sense, to the value of the appreciation if it's done in a more public forum. It's such a simple thing, isn't it? And yet it's so, I think, particularly when I talk to leaders, they underestimate the impact of those words, those simple words and simple actions. And as you've described it there, if you're going to say it privately, say it publicly and increase the impact of that sort of message. I think we do underestimate the the value of a simple comment, a simple like, a simple reaction, a simple connection request, these things that might seem like menial tasks or really, you know, understated tasks, they have a huge impact when they're coming from someone who's sitting much further up the chain than you are, recognising your efforts and even validating your efforts. So it's a really good thing to start with, Mike. Yeah. And look, I mean, I think we'll no doubt potentially get into this, Rog, but, you know, what I do online is really just an extension of what I do internally within the department. So thanking people falls into that category for me. I try to do it internally and what I do on social media is an extension of that. Absolutely. It should be an extension of whatever you do offline. There's got to be symmetry and consistency between those two identities. So I suppose with that in mind, Mike, when and how did you decide you were simply going to be yourself online? Where did that thought come from and and how did it play out? (laughs) I don't know that I ever consciously decided (laughs) to myself online. Uh, For me, it's what comes naturally. I guess it's a bit of a reaction against some of the confected nonsense that you see online. Um, I think when people aren't being authentic, 
online or anywhere else. It's so obvious and so grating. So it's not something I've consciously thought about. It's, you know, I couldn't imagine doing it any other way. It's funny because I had this conversation on this podcast with Matt Jones at at Four Pillars, the the gin uh, distillery some time ago. And we were having this conversation around the idea of people thinking they could use the digital environment to create a different version of themselves. And I think you know, social media and things that people post and the profiles they create, there's this perception of astroturfing, to use kind of an industry term, creating a fake reality. And I actually think it's the opposite. I think that digital is actually holding up an accountability mirror to a lot of leaders and saying, well, if you're not this offline, you shouldn't be this online. And if you're not this online, you shouldn't be this offline. It's forcing leaders to be consistent both on and offline. You should be the same version of yourself in all domains. So I suppose knowing that you're someone who clearly doesn't struggle with that, where do you think the the difficulty lies for others who might find that challenging to be the same person they are offline, online? Uh, I think my assumption is that one mistake people frequently make is to delegate the task to someone else. If you ask your comms team or the marketing department to do this work for you, then you're not going to get a projection of you and your style and your values into the online environment. Um, You're simply not. I write all my own posts. I do all of my own responding to the comments. I have actually tried it the other way a long time ago, uh, and it just grates. I don't find it natural not to do that work myself. So I think if you start from the simple proposition that I'm going to engage in this activity personally and invest the 15 minutes a day that it takes, then it's a great starting point. You're far more likely, I think, to come across authentically and to get that symmetry between what you like in person, what you like within your organisation as a leader and what you like online. I completely agree. And I think the the point that I'd make is you can't manufacture context. So those little interactions you have with either a larger audience, individual people, posts, comments, reactions, direct messages, private messages, whatever it looks like, you can't manufacture context. There's no way that you can try and pretend to be Mike Kaiser if you're not Mike Kaiser. And I think that therefore the simplest and the best performing way to do that is to just be yourself. But I'm sure there are people listening, Mike, who are going, yeah, that's all well and good. Where do you get the time? You just mentioned 15 minutes a day. How do you make time in your day and why do you make time? Well, I'm a public transport commuter, so that helps. I'm a senior public servant, so there's not a lot of work that I can do on the bus in the morning and in the afternoon because a lot of what I deal with is confidential and it's not appropriate to start having conversations over the phone on the bus or to start reading confidential cabinet material on the bus. So I can either read a novel or I can pull the phone out and do a bit of work on LinkedIn, which, by the way, is my only social media platform. I admit I glance at it a few times during the day and add a comment here or there, but it wouldn't extend to more than 20 minutes a day. I often joke with people that I get so much feedback and so much positive feedback about what I do online. The fact that I'm doing this podcast with you is, is in a sense, um, validation of that. And I get so little feedback about the other work that I do for the rest of the day. I sometimes jokingly say, I wonder if I should just spend all of my time online because that's what people seem to appreciate. (laughs) I'm sure not, but it might be the most visible work that you're doing, which again is kind of, it's a good reason to look at this 
this digital environment with a bit more consideration for those who have been ignoring it up to this point. So you, you touched on there, Mike, this idea of sensitive information. And I'm interested in the context of some of the things that you do say on LinkedIn. I know you're talking about things that you can't discuss publicly from a government perspective, but in the context of your own comments and your own ideas and the things that you do share online, how much governance is involved? Like, is there a, and I appreciate you write all your own content and do all your own responding. Is there a mic filter or a mic social media policy? How do you kind of know where to or where not to go in terms of what you do and say online? Uh, Well, I'm a public servant. And so I get a lot of feedback and a lot of praise for the openness of what I do on LinkedIn. But what people might not be aware of is that there is a line and I'm extremely conscious of that line and I try not to cross it. One of the obvious places where that line is, is politics. That's a hard judgment to make. You know, what is legitimate commentary about government policy, government achievements, government implementation work of the department versus political comment, which is more the purview of the politician I work with, the Deputy Premier of Queensland. So that's a line. There's obviously a good taste and a bad taste line. I'm guilty of maybe crossing that on occasions, but, I, but I'm but i conscious of a line and I try to stay on the right side of it. So, you know, it's my own personal account. It's not a departmental account, um, but I treat it as a work account effectively and there is a line and I try to stay very conscious of where that line is. Even though I try to do that, um, I try to post in an interesting way material that's interesting, material that's very open. Sometimes I push the line around what I'm prepared to talk about in terms of the department's work or, you know, my views about the role of government in society. I push the line, but I try not to go past it. So there is, in a sense, an unofficial governance or policy approach rattling around in my head as I post. I can sense from what you're saying there that you've obviously spent a bit of time thinking about things and continue to spend time thinking about things when you go to post or you go to comment. So you've obviously made a conscious decision to think about why you're turning up online and why do things and what the implications of things could be. Am I right to assume that the time that you've spent there is because you see value in spending time online and therefore it's worth taking the time to think about what is the strategy here? What am I trying to get out of this and why should I actually invest, even as you were saying before, 15 to 20 minutes a day, you still want to make sure that's worth your time. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I don't want to ascribe, you know, obsessive, strategizing to what I do on LinkedIn because that would that would be um, you know that would be suggesting a degree of cynicism about it all which honestly doesn't exist but it is purposeful I'd like to think it's purposeful it's about thanking people publicly or it's about expressing a view on some of the work that the department does in a sort of an educative way for the public or I do a lot of posts around the role of government because I just, you know, personally am desperately concerned about the government's ability within society to go toe-to-toe with the private sector. We all have our role to play, but society would be a much worse place if we didn't have a very capable government um, system. I'm not talking about individual governments or political parties, but a government system being able to regulate society and work with the private sector for great outcomes. So I hold strong views about that. I like to promote those views because I think public services around the Western world, but here in Australia and in Queensland too, are just a bit downtrodden. And 
having a leader within the public service being prepared to go out there and defend the role of government in society is something that I like to do. It's something that I think is absolutely necessary in order to kind of lift the spirits and ambitions of the people who work in the public sector. And the fact that I'm willing to do it publicly, I think helps rally people. You mentioned the musical taste stuff. I always try to do my posts in a way which is a bit interesting and which always gives something away about me. One of the biggest problems in leading organisations, I think, and it happens in the public sector too, is that it's hard to get people to bring you bad news as well as the good. And so the more approachable I can be, the more people think I'm the kind of person who you can go up to and have a conversation with, because I am, the better. And so I try to do my posts in an engaging way that lowers the barriers between me and the people I lead. There's a lot of wisdom in that, Mike, because we love this idea of proximity and we keep talking to people about the need to reduce proximity to audiences. And there's that classic cliche about leaders in their ivory tower and and only coming out when they've got something to say, not wanting to listen. Social media provides a wonderful opportunity for leaders to role model behaviours, but also to get closer to those audiences and to listen and to learn and to participate. And by reducing that distance, increasing trust. One of the great missed opportunities around social media is how I can use this environment to, yes, set an example, but also to show people that it's okay, that I am human, that I'm approachable, that we can talk, that you can share things with me. And I imagine with that, Mike, comes also a degree of sharing your own shortcomings and and things that perhaps haven't gone as well, rather than, you know, that hero complex of, no, 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 everything's perfect and nothing ever goes wrong in my world. Uh, Yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm not sure if it was you or Martin Stewart Weeks who coined the phrase intimacy at scale. I'll give Martin that credit. (laughs) Right. I'm glad we clarified that. Martin, if you're listening, it was a phrase that definitely stuck with me because I think it's a good description of what I've come to learn you can do on social media, that idea of intimacy at scale. You know, I'll never get to meet all the people that I interact with online or even necessarily all the people in the department I lead. But if I can create that sense of who I am, what my expectations are of them and my appreciation for them at scale, you know, online is a great way, is a great way to achieve that familiarity or intimacy uh, at scale without necessarily having to meet every last person. Again, what I do online is I'd like to think is an extension of what I do internally and what I'm like. And so admitting failings, admitting your stuff-ups, admitting where you've been embarrassingly wrong in the past or where you've failed um, is all is all part of that. Absolutely. And I imagine, too, from a public service perspective, even just being present is going to give encouragement and set an example for others that they, too, can have a voice and can participate and can follow in your footsteps and feel like they're an active contributor and, um, and part of that online community as well. So there's... I'm getting a sense of this range of benefits. And one of the things, Mike, you touched on it earlier, is your unique approach. You mentioned your music and sharing something of yourself. I personally, I greatly appreciate your candor. I I like the humor. I like the way that you talk about things and the way that you do tell stories online. But I'm sure it's also not everyone's cup of tea. Have you ever been called out for anything that you said or done online? And and how did you handle it? Um, Plenty of times. Um, (laughs) So... I have and my boss has received complaints about some of my online activity. Most of that is malicious, frivolous, not worth responding to. I did cross the line 
on a Friday night, I have to admit, after a few drinks uh, where I used some bad language. And the appropriate thing to do there was to simply apologize to the person I offended. So, you know, you have to be prepared to do that as well. I was recently accused by a journalist here in Queensland of campaigning for a more, you know, using social media to campaign for a more senior role within government. Um, and so I thought the appropriate thing to do on that occasion was to take to social media <laughs> um, and explain that my LinkedIn activity isn't about campaigning for anything. It's about showing appreciation to people, promoting the role of government, promoting the good work of my own department. I'm not afraid to admit where I've offended someone. I'm quick to apologize. That's happened on one occasion. I engage in a bit of banter and argument with people online. I don't mind doing that. Always try to do it respectfully. And I don't mind, you know, in a sense, gently taking someone down if they've impugned my motives. It's a really interesting dynamic to play around with. And it's one of my frustrations as a industry observer. So I don't work in the public service. I, I do spend a lot of time working with people in the public service. And I get really frustrated about pot shots being thrown at people who do decide to take a slightly different approach, who do swim against the current in terms of seeing their digital reputation, whether that's their LinkedIn activity or their Twitter activity, whatever it might be, as a way to communicate, to engage, to connect with people, to inspire people. And I think it's frustrating because it discourages others from speaking up because they see someone who they thought to be leading the way and they see someone who's setting what they believe to be a great example. And all of a sudden, if there's a voice of criticism, uh, particularly when there's obviously no grounds for that criticism, it can discourage a lot of other leaders from putting their heads up and getting involved. And then what's lost is the voice of the public service in an open discussion. And for me, that's a much greater risk than actually, you know, speaking up and potentially saying the wrong thing. And I think the other thing that I'm hearing th through what you're saying is there is naturally a balance between you sharing your story and sharing information about yourself that's required to drive interest and to attract audiences and to let them in on a little bit about yourself in order to get to know you, to build that affinity, to build that trust. There's a balance between that and always talking about your team and celebrating your team. And so I also disagree with those kind of industry critics who say, oh, you know, your LinkedIn profile is just, uh, you know, a, a job of ego and narcissism. And it's not because if you don't reveal anything about yourself as a leader, how are people going to follow you? And if they can't follow you, they can't learn about your wonderful team and the work in your case that's being done across the state of Queensland. So I think that there is this balance and it comes back to purpose and getting your purpose right. And when you do that, you will reveal parts of yourself as a human being and you will naturally celebrate and recognise the work of your people and both those things are worth highlighting online. Yeah, look, I not surprisingly agree with all of that. If people were receiving messages online from an anonymous dismembered source of praise, then it wouldn't matter as much as I sometimes think it does. You know, I'd like to think that the fact that it's coming from me, they know something about me, they know that it's sincere, um, you know, obviously just makes mean more. Um, Absolutely agree. And, and if we flip things around, what are some of those, and particularly before you were saying, you know, you joked about the 20 minutes being the source of a lot of your praise. <laughs> I'm interested to know what are some of the real success stories or things you'd point to that go, you know, leaders across the public service in particular, these are some of the things that you too can benefit from. What's happened? Well, I get a lot of people approaching me in the coffee line, letting me know their musical tastes. People feel an obligation to share their musical tastes um, with me. 
which is great, right? Because it means that I get to, you know, it means I get to meet people. Everyone has a view about music. Everyone has their favorite music. And so it's always a great way to break down barriers and to start a conversation. So I think the fact that I get a lot of people coming up to me and saying, you know, you're a Chats fan, I'm a Chats fan, or I hate the Chats or whatever the conversation might be, it's just a great icebreaker. I do get a lot of people appreciate the fact that I'm prepared to stand up for government publicly. Um, so I get feedback about that. For example, I try to post about the vacancies that we have in, in the department to encourage people to apply for those vacancies. I think the way the public service describes its roles, you know, it, I sometimes think it's designed to repel people or prevent people from applying the, way, the dry, horrible way that we describe what we do, when what we do is so purposeful and so joyful most days and gives you such an opportunity to have an influence on things that really matter. Um, my, you know, my ability to describe the roles that we have vacant in the department in that way gets a lot of feedback and attracts a lot of applicants, which is exactly what it's designed to do. Apart from driving my ego, and, and apart from feeling nice, I think it, I think there are practical impacts. There is evidence of practical effect in terms of approachability, the people I'm getting to meet, the people who come up and introduce themselves, the feedback I get about the role of government, the work that the department does, and the fact that we're attracting applicants to our vacancy processes is all I think you know. Some of the harder evidence that it's an approach worth trying. And I imagine encouraging people to stay as well. One of the other things, Mike, that I've seen is you seem to be fairly active in um, collaborating, if I can call it that, but certainly, you know, the back and forth, you talked about the banter before, it's the interaction with other leaders and people within your team publicly online. And you see this kind of supporting one another, encouraging one another, building one another up, which is, again, it's obviously just part of your nature. But to see that online, I imagine if I'm a candidate, for example, and I'm seeing this interplay between Mike and other senior bureaucrats across the service, it shows to me that you're plugged in, that you're connected, that there's this idea of we can collaborate and share ideas and work together for the greater good. Would that be a fair thing to say too, that you're finding people who are like you, active online and working together to again elevate the profile of the public service at large? Exactly. And I think, you know, the banter in the commentary is a good, playful way. You know, we take the piss out of each other a bit too in those comments, um, but it's a good, playful way of, again, just replicating online to a small extent the kind of culture and interactions that we encourage within the department. You know, it's bloody hard in any organisation and especially in public sector organisations for leaders to bring down those walls. Directors general or secretaries in the Commonwealth system are too revered, Rog. We're too revered and we shouldn't be. It gets in the way of good organisational performance for us to be held up as some kind of, you know, gods on a pedestal that can't be approached or can't be spoken to in a frank way or even in a, in a playful way, um, if you know what I mean. It's all just part of saying to people, for God's sake, be yourself around me. If I've done something stupid, tell me. If you want to have a bit of a crack at me or take the piss, feel free to, because I enjoy that. I'd rather interact with people that way. So again, sometimes what we get into online is a slightly more polite way of interacting that reflects the way that we do it internally as well. 
Well, and again, it's, it sounds so simple, but it's so effective, Mike. And, and we know from the industry data that we look at, it's, I think it's 82% of people are looking at CEO, so the equivalence of those, those heads of agency. 82% of people are looking at those leaders before deciding whether to take a job or not. So if they're looking at your online profile, they're looking for things, not, not just updates on projects. They're looking to see what are your values? What is your character? What is your sense of humor? Uh, is this person the sort of person that I could trust and work with and, and believe has my back? And so if they do see that playful banter, if they see that fun, if they see that engagement and that recognition, that's going to speak volumes for whether they do or do not take that job rather than just seeing updates on the latest projects or, as you were saying before, a very dry description of a, a job advertisement. So I think it's important that leaders recognise that and harness that opportunity. So maybe, and maybe this is a good place to finish, Mike, is around the experience that you've had and the journey that you've gone on. And it sounds like, a, by and large, a very positive one. What would you say to leaders who are sitting on the fence themselves what steps could they take to get comfortable with just being themselves online? Well, firstly, I'd say have a crack. You know, give it a go. Don't don't be afraid of it. Don't pull back from it. That's one point. You know, you'll never get anywhere unless you start playing with it, start experimenting with it, get a feel for what it's like, test the reaction that you're getting. So number one, dive in. Number two, Definitely don't let anyone do it for you. I sometimes rely on notes from the team. If I'm trying to detail something that the department's done, I'll want to try to get the facts right. So I'll get a contribution made around the facts, but I always make sure that the posts and the comments are in my own voice. That's kind of the most important thing, I think. You can't get someone to write this stuff for you. Um, be interesting. You know, there's, there's a lot of kind of turgid crap up online as well, which is not interesting. So try to be interesting. Try to think what about my organisation or my leadership style or my people might be of interest to a broader audience. I think that takes some thought because you can't just kind of spew out any old nonsense onto social media and expect to get a reaction to it. I think another important thing is be conscious of where the line is for you. Every organisation, public or private sector, I think there will be a line. You know, even if you're a CEO, you'll have a board to think about. So you've got to think about other people's reactions and then just make it an extension of, of what you're bringing to the organisation internally. Make it an extension of that. It can't and shouldn't be something different. You can't maintain a different persona online to the one that you have internally to the person that you really are. I'm making it sound like that's something you have to work at. In fact, if you stop working at the opposite, you'll find it really natural to do. If you stop being concerned about it, about that alignment, it's not something you have to try to achieve. It's something you have to prevent from not happening, if you know what I mean. Look, we started the conversation there and we're finishing the conversation there. Just be yourself is the message I'm hearing loud and clear. It's not rocket science. Just be yourself. And Mike, I appreciate you sharing your own journey and experience. I personally love unpacking leader stories and where it all started and how. And I'm grateful for the time and advice that you've given today. As you said earlier on, LinkedIn is your platform of choice. Is that the best way for people to reach you if they've got questions, encouragement, banter about today's show? Is that the best way to reach you? Oh, sure. Hit me up. No, no, no problem at all. You know, the more the merrier. I, I'm, I'm not too fussy about who I, what's the word, link with. 
a friend. Yes, connect with, yeah, yeah. Connect thanks, whatever it is. I'm not too fussy about that. I think if someone's got an interest in following what I've got to say, who am I to say no to that? So. Oh, wonderful. And I'm sure plenty of people will find your story and your journey and your content, which I can wholly endorse, very interesting themselves. So, Mike Kaiser, thank you so much for sharing your story on the Your Digital Reputation podcast. Thanks, Rog. Thanks again for listening. If you've learned something from today's conversation, please subscribe, leave a review and share it with others. For all show notes, head to propelgroup.com.au. Thanks again for listening.